fuck you, Ayn Rand. Welcome to Fraggles Rocked, the podcast where we read Atlas Rock, the classic libertarian mystery novel from 1957 by Ayn Rand, and watch episode of Fraggle Rock, a Jim Henson Muppet TV show from the 80s. And if you've been following along this far, you will know the rest of it. I am Henrik, and joining me as always is my co-host Sifal. Hi there. Nice spin on the intro. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little wrestling uh, spin. Yeah. Actually, this exact episode of Fraggle Rock also had a weird, uh, weirdly different intro. Exactly. It was uh, maybe, maybe not on purpose. <laughs> it was definitely on purpose. <laughs> yes. Because Booba at the end of the theme song says, here in Fraggle Rock, very strangely. Yeah, he says it in a, in a different way. Yeah, I hope they're not keeping that because it's, you know, bad. Yeah, exactly. And I was almost like questioning whether I've had like a bad copy or someone <laughs> like did a joking take on it because yeah. it kind of looks like it isn't synced properly. There was just something very off about it. Yeah, we may have had the same adult rated off-brand <laughs> yep. copy of this episode. And then, then it got me thinking, I just kind of like the idea of us going into this <laughs> thinking that Fraggle Rock is another thing that, it's, that it might not be. Like someone made like fan takes of it that we actually have a fan copy of oh, the entire series. So they're all just fan edits that are completely mangled up and the, none of the voice work is real. Exactly. <laughs> that is starting to explain some things about that show. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, which is why it's so dark and existential. It's just some fan. It's actually like a proper kid show. Some libertarians have been mucking around with our freckles. They know where we're going, man. They know where we're going. They're onto us. Oh, yeah. At some point, they're just going to look straight into the camera and call our names out, and then we're done with this podcast. Oh, my God, I'll die. Yes. Oh, okay, well, with that out of the way, let's get into some fraggle shrugged. Let's Let's get into some fraggle shrugged. Because we are one centimeter into the book. Wow. What a celebration. And we are, what, two or three chapters from exiting the first part of the book? Yeah. Two chapters left of part one, and then it's movie time. Yay. Uh, and you listeners may have realized that we are just stalling for time right now, because that is what the episode and the chapter are doing. Holy shit. It's all stalling for time this time around. Yes. Uh, not to spoil too much, but the chapter is basically a 20-page train ride. Yep. Just a description of riding a train. But what an orgasmic train ride we have here, man. Oh, yeah. It is Daphne who, uh, who actually learns how trains function. So that's impressive. Like, for the first time, we, we get to see that... She might not know as much about trains as she should, <laughs> which is fascinating. But she's sure impressed by that engine. Yes, and also impressed by the, by the mere fact that the train is actually running, which comes as quite a surprise for her. Um, also for us, I guess, but it shouldn't come as a surprise for her. No, because she seemed so sure that those uh, new train tracks of moist metal would work, but now she doesn't seem so sure. <laughs> so maybe she's been bluffing all along. <laughs> maybe, because there's... I, and I can't remember the exact wording, but she, at, at some point she just looks down on the train tracks and compares them to them. Oh, they're not bigger than my arms. This really shouldn't be working. It seems like magic, doesn't it? I'm like, ooh, it shouldn't. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe they shouldn't have put her in charge. I'm just, just calling it out now. Oh. 
I wonder how trains work. Oh well, back to running a railroad. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I was just, I was just like listening to this because I, I'm, as we all know, listening to the audiobook. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is gonna go wrong. She's gonna crash this train. It's oh, it's gonna. Also, because people are again the same voices in the room are being like overheard, but like people are going like, so um, so you wanna run this train? Uh, faster than than you're allowed to, even though all the scientists say this metal is not going to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's no, not even though, because <laughs> because the scientists say that it can't be done. <laughs> let's just go double the speed. It will work. Yeah. And then she enters the train. She, there's also like a segment where she's like surprised of how fast they're going. She's like, oh, well, we're going really fast, aren't we? We're, but as you can see, like um, stuff f- uh, flashing by her. So, oh. I wasn't figuring that we were going so fast. Oh, you're, oh, shit. Well, they are going pretty fast. They're going 100 miles an hour, which is 160 kilometers an hour. Yes. And I think they said earlier that the Tiger trains usually run 20 miles an hour. Yep. So um, it, is, it is quite an upgrade. Yep. Like everyone is just actually terrified when she says, oh, we'll just go 100. And then you can just hear some of the characters being like, uh, that's, oh, this is not a good idea. Are you sure? But uh, just to get this out of the way, mm-hmm. this train is running from New York to Colorado, right? Yep. Um, and sure, 100 miles an hour, 160 kilometers an hour. That sounds pretty fast. Oh, that, that's, that's fast. Mm-hmm. There's almost 3,000 kilometers between those two places. Yeah. It feels like a pretty fast train ride, despite taking up 20 pages. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the very fastest, that's going to be an 18-hour trip. Yeah, and it it does feel like more than 18 hours when you're listening to the other book, but at the same time, it does not feel like 18 hours. (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's impressive that Ayn Rand has made the experience um, real time. Yeah. <laughs> but still, 18 hours, that's a long time. And they, they arrive in the evening. Yep. Which means that they've got to have been departing at like 2 or 3 at night. Yeah. But it doesn't seem so because when they're departing, they have all like cutting the red tape and... Well, the press and the crowd just uh, happen to be out at the train tracks at <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so we just assume it's, it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. Also, there's like a weird section where the now boss of the company, like the, the scapegoat she put in, like, uh, what's his name? Um, you mean Eddie Willis? Eddie Willis, exactly. Her puppy dog and puppet. <laughs> puppy dog. Is, is like doing a weird statement as far as I could hear from the audiobook, like he's cutting the tape like right before the train comes. Like he's doing like a dramatic thing. Yeah, it's like a weird stunt because it's, you know, like an opening where you cut a red tape. So the press says, oh, could we do it a few times? We have some mm-hmm. extra tape. So just do it a few times. So we're sure we have a good shot. And he says, no, position yourself on the train track, but far away yeah. and I will cut it. And then he, uh, just as the train starts to drive directly towards him, he cuts the tape and jumps out of the way. Yes. Um, we don't hear anything about uh, the photographers, so I just assume they will run down. <laughs> yep. Murdered, because, you know, we have been counting down to the day that Dagny would just run somebody over with the train, and I think, uh, I think we got pretty close here. 
I also get, I kind of love the idea of this just turning into an action movie a la speed with her in a train <laughs> <laughs> and then just going on a murdering rampage in a train like running everyone down I mean I mean we are one step closer to the logical end point of this book which is just Daphne running a train all across the United States of America just mowing down dirty socialists <laughs> and uh, healthcare workers and yes. union representatives and oh. I guess daycare helpers and nurses. Mm -hmm. uh, she has a fucking like wonderfully perverted conversation with a unionist in this book also. It was just like, oh, where she, where she tries to like strong arm him in a way into like not running the train and then he kind of wants to run the train it's, it's an absurd conversation in which she offers to run the train herself because uh, <laughs> she can do anything cue the red fractal song do it do it on your own i can do it on my own it's just because this is her this is a reasoning behind doing anything it's just i'll do it crazy enough and if, <laughs> if no one follows i'll just run the entire train company myself <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Despite not knowing how train actually works. Um, so, because we haven't really gotten into, like, a summation of the chapter, but mm. this is pretty much it. Like, this is pretty much all that goes on. Yeah, I'll, I'll just quickly sum up this shit, because this is mm -hmm. basically the triumph of part one. This is where the music swells, the crowd cheers, and an endless train ride is described in excruciating detail. Yes, and everyone seems to go from everyone hates this fucking train, everyone hates this metal, to everyone just like lying down flat and cheering on her. <laughs> yeah, it's it's strange how abrupt that is. <laughs> yep. And of course, we get a few other things. Uh huh. Dagny is confirmed, not a human being. Lillian Reardon, still boss. Nat Taggart, still problematic. And um, Hank and Dagny go on their train ride where they mind fuck over their accomplishments and then they actual fuck. Yes, we get a real uncomfortable sex scene in this. Y yeah, yeah. I don't even know how to process that. I mean, no, 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 no. I, I'm just putting it in the back of my mind, in the very, very back of my mind. Oh, just a second. I'll see if I can get a good noise here. Oof. Uh, yeah, that is the sound of a good old bottle of whiskey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's let's just get drunk for this. That's the only way to go through this. So we'll come with like several trigger warnings when we get to it. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, snowflakes and cucks out there, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Cower in your safe spaces. I am sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just need a bigger fucking barrel to vomit in. <laughs> oh, oh. Do you need to go to a safe space? Yes. Do you need your emotional support, a gorilla? Yes. My safe space is like burning this book at a distance. <laughs> that I, is. I did note one weird thing. It's it's kind of contradictory, but I think the one person in the world who would actually be okay with those, you know, written out explicit consent forms that the right wing are just furious that the left wing are apparently clamoring for. Yeah. I think Dagny would be the only person in the world who would be down with that. <laughs> yep. Ooh, could we just uh, fill out some paperwork first? Oh, just oh, just write in paperwork. But doesn't it actually say in the in the beginning, and we can, we can get into that in the wokeness section, but doesn't it actually say something where she's like, it didn't need any form of, like, she gets into it actually. In the, oh, oh, yeah, in the section, yeah. Yes. 
Um, well, for a book this problematic, and uh, I'm going to say it rapey, yeah. surprisingly, a lot of discussion of consent. Mm-hmm. But not in a meaningful or helpful way. No, more like in, in any a... shape or form, but more like he didn't need any consent. It's, it's said that like three times in this book. It's a recurring theme. <laughs> but at least at least it's mentioning it. Like I would yeah. count that to wall as progressive. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's another point where this book is just so confusing because we have the strong female protagonist. The sex scenes always discuss consent. And actually we have... Uh, in a quote, mm-hmm. explicit consent. He says, um, "Do you want it?" And she says, "Yes." <laughs> but everything, every single fucking thing around that is just so messed up and wrong that it completely negates any kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> progressiveness that that exchange may have had. <sighs> let's just let's just go as far as saying she's a she's a complicated character when it comes to sex. Yeah. Okay, well, just to sort of paint a picture of where I think we are in the story right now. Mm-hmm. So this chapter kind of resolves that immediate conflict that we've been working on for the past few chapters, and it fulfills Dagny's character motivation in that the rail line is completed and works. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's kind of meant to be this triumphant climax of part one of the book. In many ways, it also feels like this is where the book can easily end. It's a bit unsatisfying, but it, it, it draws a line to like some sort of closure in the entire story. It is, it is sort of that line in the sand. Yeah. So there, there are two chapters left of part one, and I expect them to sort mm-hmm. of be a denouement and resolving the plot threads and putting everything in yes. line, and then some huge bombshell drops. It'll be some twist that will hurl us into the next dramatic act of the story where all things go wrong and blah, blah, blah. Or maybe she just, like, builds a bigger train. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know how much sense of pacing Ayn Rand has, but... uh, Uh, From going from from this first (laughs) centimeter of the book, she's not great (laughs) with it, is she? Uh, Yeah, but, um, you know... Benefit of the doubt. I think this is where she's headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it would it would make sense. We we've we summed up the whole like romantic subplot quote with, unquote. Uh, with her and Reardon. She got her train train tracks rolling. Uh, we even have a scene where people are yelling, "We are John Gold!" Right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> apropos of Mister John Gold mm-hmm. or Scatman John, if you like. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I think the next part of the book must really be focused on delving deep into this, uh, what could generously be called the mystery of who this John Goldfucker is. Yeah, because like it, it feels like strangely resolved here. Where it's like, okay, so we are John Gold, but who the fuck is John Gold? Like, you, can't, you can't put this up here. You can't be like, we had a progression for people hating, to use the term John Gold, and now they love it, and we still don't fucking know what the term John Galt actually means. Yeah, we have to meet him. Yes. And I mean, from my, uh, you know, I watched the movie, so uh, even though I have vague memories of it, I uh, mm-hmm. I know that it does show up eventually. Yeah. So, you know, spoiler to the people out there. But uh, I, think, I think he's also just been like hanging around in the margins and just being like a, like a face in the crowd. I think he's always there. Possibly. 
I, I think he's just been Forrest Gumping his way through part one. <laughs> but for, from, a, from a narrative standpoint and from a reader standpoint, I am about ready to get... To meet John Gold. <laughs> yes, either that or just forget him. Maybe she'll just do that. Maybe this is the last mention of John Gold ever in the book. I, I really hope part two is just about that crazy Viking pirate. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot that subplot. And, and Atlantis, where did Atlantis go? <laughs> Fuck, I totally fucking forgot that. <laughs> So yeah, th- that's about it, isn't it? Like for uh, for for Atlas, for like our immediate reaction to, to yeah. the chapter. Yeah. So uh, so where are we on the Fraggle train this time around? Let's ride the train to Fraggle Rock. Yes, through the terrible tunnel. And what the fuck happens this time around? Like. We have a weird episode that starts out with fucking Doc and Sprocket. As usual. Uh, as usual. Those two <laughs> maniacs. Exactly, those two fucking maniacs. Like, Sprocket finds a horseshoe that he's very fond of. And for some reason, Doc is very impressed with this horseshoe because it fits exactly into what looks like a very dodging shelving compartment for books. Yeah, and can we just address that uh, Doc takes the horseshoe, smells it, and then declares, oh, it's 98.1% iron. Yes. So, dude, dude can smell metal composition. From this, we can deduct that he's clearly a machine. Or Hank Reardon in disguise. Oh, wait a fucking minute. I didn't even think about that, but that is a yeah. very clear link. He seems like a metalhead on the low, low. Oh, <laughs> Didn't even think about that. That's a good. That's a good uh, connection we have going there. But what 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 happens from there is just uh, the Fraggles in general being superstitious. Uh, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, we have uh, Fraggles t- like tapping flower pots because apparently that brings good luck. Well, it is Booba, and he is yep. the hypochondriac and uh, superstitious one. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he's also getting Wembley in on it mm-hmm. because. Wembley can be convinced of anything. Yes. The other fragments are basically gaslighting Wembley. Yeah. <laughs> they are basically. And, and they're fucking. <laughs> they're just consistently telling him that he doesn't know anything. Let us tell you what you think. Exactly. Like, especially in this uh, fucking episode where Red is just a terrible person to watch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, she is fucking terrible in this episode. Like, what she tells him is, yeah, it's, it's just him. Don't mind him. He's just, he's just an idiot. But it's not just her, though, because. Red, I can sort of understand because she she can be quite an asshole. But yeah, uh, let's just get the quotes here. I, I have them for Randy, and but let's just get them out of the way. Yeah, now we're talking about it. So this is Red. Let's be honest. You never know what you're talking about. You can't help it. It's just the way you are. Exactly. The fucking, <laughs> fucking dark shit. It's fucking dark shit. But also something Dagny could very easily have said to like yeah. any character in the book. Uh, and Gobo then later says, Wembley, I'm sorry I gave you such a hard time. For once, you actually did know what you were talking about. <laughs> and Wembley then says, Oh, well, it's never happened before. Yeah, they've been terrible to that poor, poor Fraggle. Because what happens, like his arc in this story, is that he, get, he gets blindfolded and wanders into like this tunnel. The cursed, cursed, terrible tunnel. Because we learn that, that this is a myth in Fraggle Rock. There's a tunnel somewhere with a rock monster that will just eat you. And we learn about this from a storyteller, mm. like a character, a new character getting introduced. Very fabulous. Yes, very fabulous. Like, it has that uh, librarian chic 
would say. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically, if the trash heap were a fraggle, this is what she would look like. Yes, so she she might be a drag queen, but yeah, or, or, um, the, or the trash heap in disguise. Yeah, because like the voices were reminding me a bit of it because we get introduced to her by them knocking on a door, and then you can hear the voice. So I was like, is the is the trash heap just going to come out of that door? <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> But no, they, they, they learn of this story from, uh, from this character, and then he stumbles upon this actual terrible tunnel and, like, barely escapes from that. And, I mean, it's just there. Wembley's in the main cave and stumbling around blindfolded, and then he follows the most creepy voice he can possibly follow, and then he's just directly in the terrible tunnel. How did they not find it before? I actually find that to be quite brilliant and satirical because they have that discussion when he then comes out of the tunnel and everyone's like, no, the tunnel is not there. And you can just clearly <laughs> see the blue tunnel in the background all the time. And it's so fucking funny. And it's like, no, no, it's right there. So they actually enter the tunnel with him. Like Gobo and Red, right? Yeah, so this is basically Fraggle Rock getting into this uh, kind of discussion of objective reality versus subjective perception. Exactly. Uh, that usually belongs more to Atlas Shrugged. Mm -hmm. But they managed to do it in like 24 minutes. As always, way more on point than Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, succinctly illustrating a point mm -hmm. while maybe missing it completely. Yeah, you know. The good thing about Fraggle Rock as a children's show is that it doesn't always have those easy morals and lessons. So many TV shows for children just have this easy lesson learned yes. at the end where they hug and laugh but yeah. this one just often completely misses its own point and instead just goes directly into some heavy dark shit <laughs> yeah they seem more obsessed with like let's just see how dark it can get because what happens is that they go to the terrible tunnel again barely escapes by like grabbing each other's tails that they ha also have like this superstitious thing about like making knots on their tails which sounds painful yes which sounds very painful and who is it is it boober who's outside the cave just making knots on his own tail <laughs> yeah he basically braids his entire tail and it's it, oh it looks so painful but they're in this cave barely escapes again and the whole like thing wraps up with the storyteller now changing her story to oh oh you can actually escape this terrible cave and then the end the cave is still fucking there the <laughs> monster is still fucking there <laughs> there's just this terrible fraggle eating monster in a cave this time we learned that the monster underneath your bed is real yes and this is fine the end yeah that's not gonna sleep create tight. any problems <laughs> sleep time children it's an actual horror story. It really is. And then we go, speaking of horror stories, then we go back to Doc and Sprocket. And of course, <laughs> like in the midst of him building this bookcase that's, by the way, apparently meant to collapse. Yeah. Because he then slots the fucking horseshoe into the bookcase. Then it collapses and Doc is just like, oh, that's fine. It's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> but what I find to be nice about this episode is that Sprocket actually gets away with... Uh, getting Doc to bribe him to like get the horseshoe back, so he actually gets something. He yeah. he for once gets food in this episode, so that's yeah. nice to see. Oh yes, he only gets it by extorting Doc in order to get his breakfast, <laughs> like his dinner. But <laughs> at least he's fed. At least he isn't actively <laughs> starved. 
<laughs> so I, I get how, like, because you can see Sprocket being very vengeful in this episode and be like, no, no. I am I'm getting away with everything this time around. And I've, I'm on I'm on Team Sprocket this time around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. Yep. He finally gets his comeuppance. Um, just one of the things that Duck tries to bribe Sprocket with mm-hmm. beyond various uh, dangerous tools. <laughs> uh, a creepy ceremonial mask. Yep. What ceremonies is this old lunatic attending? <laughs> a wood-carved ceremonial mask that looks like straight out of that fucking uh, Ice White Shot movie. He's <laughs> <laughs> just going to rich guy orgies. At this point, it, it wouldn't... Like, it wouldn't surprise me. This this may be where we find the actual crossover with the book. Yep. Francisco D'Anconia throws a big party and Duck shows up. <laughs> oh, like revealing himself. Or maybe Sprocket. <laughs> or maybe Duck disguised as Sprocket. Again. <laughs> oh, yeah. They had the whole, like, dressing up as each other, right? Or the- <laughs> they went to a costume party but he didn't wear his ceremonial mask there, so oh, yeah. I think he's saving it for a special occasion. Exactly. And on that note, I think we, we summed up two episodes. Um, I don't think this time around there is a lot of overlap, besides the like the metal part, mm, which is no. very... There's, there's a bridge and tunnel thing going on. Mm-hmm. Both yes. of them have like a focus on infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Both spend a substantial amount of time just traversing the area and the infrastructure uh, via a tunnel or a railway line. Yes. And I think um, um, there may be some vaginal phallic symbolism going on here. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. The uh-huh. train is very phallic. It's just plowing through the landscape. Yes, and, and we were, I imagine we'll be going into that in our like segment where we where we get to read a bit. <laughs> That chapter. Yeah, and I mean, I have so many quotes with how dangerous holes are. Yeah. It it feels like there's something. <laughs> they're going into a dank cave <laughs> and they're getting swallowed up. Uh, I mean, there's such a notion as uh, vagina dentata, I think it's called. Yes. Uh, the idea of a man-eating vagina. Oh, isn't a vagina dentata actually a vagina growing teeth? It's an actual... It's an, but it's also an actual medical condition. Did you know this? Oh, oh for real? Yes. It, it, and now it gets like, cover your ears if you're if you're a little snowflake now. So it's an actual medical disease where the vagina can, in very rare cases, grow something like bone inside the vagina, resembling actual teeth. Oh Jesus! So vaginas and tassa is real. Uh, it's a real thing. Okay. If you dare, you can Google it. There's pictures. Um, I choose not to. But according to Wikipedia, it's a folktale in which a woman's vagina is said to contain teeth with the associated implication uh, that sexual intercourse might result in injury, emasculation, or castration for the man involved. Yes. The terrible tunnel has teeth. It has some rock-like teeth around the hole, mm-hmm. and they're getting swallowed up by this dank cave. And uh, I, th- I think the riders may have had some unresolved issues going on here. 
mm-hmm. or had some weird agenda. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he just had like weird Freudian issues. Who the fuck knows? Yeah, but that is the most problematic thing about this episode. Yeah, I don't think like yeah. it's not the most interesting Fraggle episode. I would say no. But I think should should we get into our normal segments yeah yeah let's do that because we talked about doing a bit of a reading and i think oh uh, oh us doing a reading yes how unusual how unusual us breaking copyright rules how unusual oh how unusual so here we get into dagny being on the train so you have to be in the mind of her being on her new train that's actually going and her physical sensation of going on the train. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. So if you readers want to read along, it's from the bottom of page 225. It was a strange foreshortening between sight and touch, she thought, between wish and fulfillment. The words clicked sharply in her mind after a startled stop between spirit and body. First the vision, then the physical shape to express it. First the thought, then the purposeful motion down the straight line of a single track to a chosen goal. Could one have any meaning without the other? Wasn't it evil to wish without moving or to move without aim? Whose malevolence was it that crept through the world struggling to break the two apart and set them against each other? She shook her head. She did not want to think or wonder why the world behind her was what it was. She didn't care. She was flying away from it at the rate of a hundred miles an hour. She leaned to the open window by her side and felt the wind of the speed blowing her hair off her forehead. She lay back, conscious of nothing but the pleasure it gave her. Yet her mind kept racing. Broken bits of thought flew past her attention like the telegraph poles by the track. Physical pleasure, she thought. This is a train made of steel running on rails of reared metal, moved by the energy of burning oil and electrical generators. It's a physical sensation of a physical movement through space. But is that the cause and the meaning of what I now feel? Do I call it a low animal joy, the feeling that I would not care if the rail did break to bits under us now? It won't. But I wouldn't care, because I have experienced this. A low, physical, material, degrading pleasure of the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've all felt that, oh, yeah. riding the train. The big train, while looking at other people and everything gets awkward. Yeah, we all get uh, aroused while commuting to work. Please don't ever take the train. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but let's uh, let's jump uh, from there. So now, now you have that picture in your mind. Oh, so let's yes. let's jump into another section. Yes, because now the train has arrived and Ellis Wyatt has driven Dagny Taggart and Hank Reardon to his home, and they're having a nice dinner. And uh, the three of them are having sort of like a like a threesome of the mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is getting very uh, intense. Moist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the word. 
So let's just take it away, and I'll lead you on yes. a magical trip to a moist, weird place. Mm. Do you think that you have your hands full now? Ellis Wyatt was saying. Just give me a year, and I'll give you something to keep you busy. Two tank trains a day, Dagny. <laughs> It's going to be four or six or as many as you wish me to fill. His hand swept over the lights on the mountains. This It's nothing compared to what I've got coming. He pointed west. The Buena Esperanza Pass. Five miles from here. Everybody's wondering what I'm doing with it. Oil shale. How many years ago was it that they gave up trying to get oil from shale because it was too expensive? Well, wait till you see the process I've developed. It will be the cheapest oil ever to splash in their faces, and an unlimited supply of it. An untapped supply that will make the biggest oil pool look like a mud puddle. Did I order a pipeline? Hank, you and I will have to build pipelines in all directions to... Oh, I beg your pardon. I don't believe I introduced myself when I spoke to you at the station. I haven't even told you my name. Ridden grinned. I guessed it by now. I'm sorry. I don't like to be careless, but I was too excited. What were you excited about? asked Dagny, her eyes narrowed in a mockery. Wyatt held her glance for a moment. His answer had a tone of solemn intensity, strangely conveyed by a smiling voice, about the most beautiful slap in the face I ever got and deserved. Do you mean for our first meeting? I mean for our first meeting. Don't. You were right. I was. About everything but you, Dagny. To find an exception after years of... Oh, to hell with them. Do you want me to turn on the radio and hear what they're saying about the two of you tonight? No. Good. I don't want to hear them. Let them swallow their own speeches. They're all climbing on the bandwagon now. We're the band. He glanced at Riordan. <laughs> What are you smiling at? I've always been curious to see what you're like. I've never had a chance to be what I'm like. Except tonight. Do you <clears throat> live here alone like this? Miles away from everything? Wyatt pointed at the window. I'm a couple of steps away from everything. What about... I have guest rooms for the kind of people who come to see me on business. I want as many miles as possible between myself and all the other kinds. He leaned forward to refill their wine glasses. Hank, why don't you move to Colorado? 
to hell with New York and the Eastern Seaboard. This is the capital of the Renaissance, the second Renaissance, not of oil paintings and cathedrals, but of oil derricks, power plants and motors made of reared and metal. They had the Stone Age and the Iron Age, and now they're gonna call it the reared and metal age, because there's no limit to what your metal made possible. I'm going to buy a few square miles of Pennsylvania, said Riordan, the ones around my mills. It would have been cheaper to build a bunch here as I wanted, but you know why I can't? And to hell with them. I'll beat them anyway. I'm going to expand the mills. And if she can, give me a three-day freight service to Colorado. I'll give you a race for who's going to be capital of the Renaissance. Give me a year, said Dagny, of running trains on the John Gold line. Give me time to pull the Taggart system together. And I'll give you three-day freight service across the continent on a reared and metal track from ocean to ocean. Who was it that said he needed a fulcrum, said Ellis Wyatt. Give me an unobstructed right of way and I'll show them how to move the earth. She wondered what it was that she liked about the sound of Wyatt's laughter. Their voices, even her own, had a tone she never heard before. When they rose from the table, she was astonished to notice that the candles were the only illumination of the room. She had felt as if she were sitting in a violent light. Ellis Wyatt picked up his glass, looked at their faces and said, To the world as it seems to be right now. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A threesome of the mind. Oh, yeah. A mindfuck, as they call it. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, or megalomaniacs meeting in a building and building a train lines to the to serve the quote-unquote public? No, no, to explicitly not serve the public, to skin them while making an exorbitant profit, as they directly state are heroes. <laughs> At least they state that die fucking directly. I... Love that. I love that she gets like a chance to walk out of that with a character like interviewing her. And she says, no, no, I do this only to make money. Yeah. And they're like, but don't you have like a bigger goal? No, 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 no. no. I just want to make money. I don't care about you. I don't care about anyone. And this is the, this is the person we're supposed to like. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we, should we have a little reality check and uh, check in with what the villains are saying this time around? Yes. Because they're saying vile and evil things like, one should not, it seems to me, use human beings as guinea pigs in the launching of a new product. What an evil thought to have. How dare they limit, limit <laughs> Daphne's expression of herself by limiting her ability to like build train tracks that might or might not be dangerous. This, this book is so incredibly dumb. Mm-hmm. Well, we hear from my favorite Star Trek character again, Scudder of the Future. Uh-huh. He says, I don't claim that the Reardon Taggart contraption will collapse. Maybe it will and maybe it won't. That's not the important issue. The important issue is 
What protection does society have against the arrogance, selfishness and greed of two unbridled individualists whose records are conspicuously devoid of any public-spirited actions? These two, apparently, are willing to stake the lives of their fellow men on their own conceited notions about their powers of judgment against the overwhelming majority opinion of recognized experts. Should society permit it, if that thing does collapse, won't it be too late to take precautionary measures? Quote, Sora. <laughs> I want someone to do a fan version of this book where they flip the protagonists and antagonists and just see how it works. I think it's a much better book. So this becomes the book... But, that, but that's every other book. That's literally every yes. other book that's been written. <laughs> This is the only one that took the bold stance of making the Empire the heroes. <laughs> but it's, it's, at that point, it's just a book about megalomaniacs building a train line and maybe, maybe not killing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just have to take this last quote because it takes yes. such a weird turn because Ayn Rand suddenly at the end remembers, oh, this is supposed to be a villain. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. So, why, no, I don't say that the bridge will collapse said the chief metallurgist of Associated Steel on a television program. I don't say that at all. I just say that if I had any children, I wouldn't let them ride on the first train that's going to cross that bridge. But it's only a personal preference, nothing more. It's just because I'm overly fond of children. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a thing to say. Yes, that is the thing. That that's how she tries to make him evil. By yeah. saying, I want to protect my children from maybe dying in the suicide trap of a train, and then she has to and like also because they turn me on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to put that spin on it to even make him yeah. like remotely evil. <laughs> Otherwise, he's just a concerned parent. Should we should we slowly get into the woke segment because I think there is more than enough to talk about in that segment. Oh yeah. So, on that note, what do we have to say about the woke? Mm, well, there's of course the entire sex scene, which is all sorts of problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, mm, there's the thing with having someone of a minority ethnicity as a servant. Mm-hmm. This is Ellis Wyatt's butler, I guess. Uh-huh. The dinner was served by a silent figure in a white jacket, the only other inhabitant of the house, an elderly Indian with a stony face and a courteous manner. So that's a bit of a stereotypical portrayal. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I just I just know that Ayn Rand was picturing him with the full feather headdress and emerging <laughs> from a teepee with the dinner. <laughs> yep. Smoking a peace pipe. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Like painted full orange. Yeah, yeah. And doing the... Just a lovely casual racism. Yeah. And we also have a little droplet of male gaze again Mm -hmm. from the female rider. Daphne twisted herself in a slow, faint movement, her breasts pressed to the desk. So that sort of casual uh, mentioning of her breasts, which is completely irrelevant that's kind of something like a bad male rider would do if he had never interacted with a real woman yeah something like she walked boobily down the stairs 
While she spoke, she thought about, oh, how fun it is to have tits. At this point, how much of a chance is there that Ayn Rand is actually a terrible man in disguise? I mean, she has to be, right? Yes. Um, it's not often that I would pull the card of, oh, her husband must have written this. Because, I mean, a woman can do anything, but yeah, yeah, yeah. would a woman do this thing? <laughs> I just can't see why you would go against your own interests in this way. It does not make sense to me. Maybe it's a sales tactic. It was the 50s after all. Maybe this was the only way to get this crap published. This this book, like, if I didn't know about the story about her and her political activism, I would claim that this book is satire. Mm, yeah, and it's just so clunkily written. I mean, the editor probably got it and thought, looked it through and thought, well, it's not very well written. It's extremely long and extremely propagandistic. Um, but it does say some nice things about women and men, so I'll, I'll let it pass. Yeah. Maybe her editor was just misogynistic. Like, maybe... It was the 50s in the US. I can promise yeah. you it was. <laughs> a pretty good chance. Maybe she wrote an actual progressive book, and then it's just in the <laughs> editing, this shit happened. And this is the Don Draper cut. <laughs> <laughs> she wrote, like, a really good 150-page book that was a critique of the capitalist society back then, and then someone edited the fuck out of that book. <laughs> it used to be a satire. <laughs> That must be the case. Like, there must be more to this book. There must be a story behind it. Like, more than we're presented with. Because it's yeah. just this. Release the Iron Rand cut. Yeah. I'm starting that movement. The Iron Rand cut is it double as long. <laughs> and twice as misogynistic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's quite wild. She had an editor being like, oh, this is too rapey. We have to cut this out. Like, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Originally, the line wasn't, who is John Galt? But bitches be shopping, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there's a scene where she just blankly murders a child for no apparent reason. <laughs> like, skins the child alive and like put it as a figurehead on the train. Yeah. To scare away evil ghosts. We deserve to see the missing chapters. <laughs> or do we? Or do they deserve uh, to be buried forever in a landfill mm, along with yeah. like copies of E.T. the game for Atari? Yeah, yeah, you may be right. Yep. No one should have dug that landfill up, by the way. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> so now that the casual wokeness stuff is out of the way, let's get super problematic with the sex scene. Let's get down and dirty into business. Do you have some real good quotes from the real good saucy rape scene? Yeah, I mean, I have a lot. Uh -huh. I can just hit some highlights here. Go for it. The shock became numbness spreading through her body. She felt a tight pressure in her throat and her stomach. She was conscious of nothing but a silent convulsion that made her unable to breathe. So, is this an aroused woman or a woman about to get raped? Fucking hell, man. Your call. <laughs> it was like an act of hatred, like the cutting blow of a lash encircling her body. She felt his arms around her. She felt her legs pulled forward against him and her chest bent back under the pressure of his mouth on hers. He was not smiling. His face was tight. It was the face of an enemy. He jerked her head and caught her mouth again as if he were inflicting a wound. This is a rape scene. Again, a romantic scene. It, it keeps on going. It's yeah. so uncomfortable to read and listen to also. 
so so here's a long one, but we really need to get this out there. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. We need to hear this in the same way that we needed to hear about Harvey Weinstein's relationship with potted plants. We just have to get this out there. Yeah. Okay. She knew that the triumph was his, that her laughter was her tribute to him, that her defiance was submission, that the purpose of all her violent strength was only to make his victory the greater. He was holding her body against his, as if stressing his wish to let her know that she was now only a tool for the satisfaction of his desire. And his victory, she knew, was her wish to let him reduce her to that. Whatever I am, she thought, whatever pride of person I may hold, the pride of my courage, of my work, of my mind and my freedom, that is what I offer for the pleasure of your body. That is what I want you to use in your service. And that you want it to serve you is the greatest reward I can have. Fuck you, Ayn Rand. He took her wrist and threw her down inside his room, making the gesture tell her that he needed no sign of consent or resistance. He locked the door, watching her face. And then, of course, we have the progressive section with the explicit consent given. Mm -hmm. He stood looking down at her naked body, because he has, of course, already undressed her. She heard his voice. It was more a statement of contemptuous triumph than a question. You want it? Her answer was more a gasp than a word. Her eyes closed, her mouth open. Yes. <laughs> so are you wet yet? Are you moist? I have never been more dry in my life. And that says a lot. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> For you it does. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not good. Suddenly the scene with uh, her and Danconio having his way with her in the woods doesn't seem as bad. It could get worse, apparently. I just, uh, this book must, Uh, it must at some point go into this with a more critical mind. Like, this cannot be an actual romantic sex scene. it's, It's too late for that not to be the case. This is part of the big triumph. They even come together. Did you Did you notice that? No. Maybe you didn't catch it because it's the 50s, so you can't use naughty words. <laughs> he heard the moan of her breath. She felt the shudder of his body in the same instant. Oh. So this is how the chapter closes with yes. come together right now. This is one of the most disgusting sex scenes I have ever, ever witnessed. <laughs> yeah. I've seen Enter the Void, and this is, this is worse. I haven't seen it yet, but it seems like on par with Irreversible, the fucking <laughs> 13-minute sex scene. You mean rape scene? <laughs> no, no, sex scene. Oh, love scene. <laughs> love scene. It must have been inspired by this. This is a, it's a film adaptation <laughs> of this. It is so disgusting. Oh. Like, what, how can you unironically read this? And just be like, oh yeah, it's fine. Like, okay, so if I were a person who just, like... Okay, was, yeah. If, if I was uh, a person... I'll accept the premise. <laughs> okay, <laughs> accept the premise of me being an actual person. Like, on the far-leaning, like, ultra-liberalist, I-love-my-money kind of person. Not too much of a stretch. Yes, I would... 
you can you can get you can get into this book. You can read it. You can read it in your I don't know diamond encrusted chair on a yacht, right? Sure. There you sit there reading and be like, oh yes, tell them as it is. Like rip them apart, rip the society apart. They're just limiting me from like earning my money. But when you get to this section of the book, and if you don't instantly throw up and start questioning your love for this book at this point, you're fucking problematic. <laughs> Yeah. I, I think I think I I think I'm about nearing being like being done. Well, <laughs> we haven't even discussed fake news yet, have we? Because it turns out that Ayn Rand is also super anti-free press. Oh yeah, fuck uh, yeah! You you had that wonderful quote, right? Yeah. The general policy of the press had been stated by a famous editor five years ago. There are no objective facts, he had said. Every report on facts is only somebody's opinion. It is therefore useless to write about facts. Uh -huh. Also, this little nugget. The reporters who came to the press conference in the office of the John Gold line were young men who had been trained to think that their job consisted of concealing from the world the nature of its events. It was their daily duty to serve as audience for some public figure who made utterances about the public good in phrases carefully chosen to convey no meaning. It was their daily job to sling words together in any combination they pleased, so long as the words did not fall into a sequence saying something specific. Yeah, you can almost hear in the background, like, fake news. Yeah. No collusion, fake news. <laughs> By the way, I'm not wearing my mega hat today, but that's only coincidence. You, you should have been wearing your mega hat today, if it ever was appropriate. <laughs> This is about the time. Yeah, but it's like uh, two meters away and I'm lazy. I'm a lazy moocher. And this is, this is the reason why in the history books the revolution never happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, we could have done a counter-revolution, but you know, I have to walk. Just don't want Don't do it. Yeah, it's too far. I get you. I can empathize with it. <laughs> All right, let's uh, move on here. Yes, Bechdel test. No, 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 no. Yep, 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 yep. yep. I mean, maybe Mookie and the Storyteller, but uh, it's a big stretch. Yeah, they mostly talk about a weird fraggle night. So, yeah, yeah. No, no. Bechdel. So no Bechdel test, and clearly no fucking Bechdel test. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, whatever the opposite of a Bechdel test is, that's, that's got to be it. Although we kind of forgot to get into... Is it just me remembering wrong? Mm. Or didn't Hank Reardon's wife have a scene where she actually goes into, no, you would never fuck back me. You'd never have the guts to fucking do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have that written down. I was planning to read it for... Uh, okay, okay, okay. For the Sorry. best character, because she's a nominee. Yes, because that fucking that fucking scene, man. Yeah, she's my only nominee because yes, nobody comes out great looking in this chapter. Besides her, yeah, yeah, she's a surefire hit every time. Yes, she's kind of like the like the trash heap of Atlas Shrugged. She's just calling all the bullshit, man. Mm, she's, she's not having it. I, I she's can... like the flip side of the trash heap, where she calls the bullshit and the trash heap delivers the bullshit. I'm just I'm just uh, picturing her with like. A very dirty margarita in the corner of being like, fuck this shit. Look at all these fucking people. She's just, you know, that great drunk friend you have at a party that just sees everything for what it is? Yeah, and is not afraid to say it. Yes, exactly. 
I would just want more of her. I want her sub story mm, mm. as an entire book. Lillian Reardon shrugged. Yes. <laughs> the Lillian Reardon Chronicle. <laughs> yeah. That must be our fan fiction project. Yes. Just her ripping everything apart. Like when, when Daphne comes in, like presenting her big plan, she's just like, this is the fuck gonna happen. This is so dumb. <laughs> like, look at her. She has no concept of reality. What the fuck? <laughs> that silly bitch. Yes. <laughs> her words, not mine. <laughs> Because that is an actual quote from the character. Yes. <laughs> because she is amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Oh, on that note, let's get a wardy. Yep, 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 yep. So, most Fraklian sentence, and there wasn't a lot here. Yeah? It's slim pickings because there's so little of substance in this chapter, and you really need some substance to get probably Fraklian. Clearly. So it's mostly from Eddie Willis, who is one of the more Fraklian characters in general. Yes. And by the way, he, yet again, he had like a long stretch of time where he's just talking to his imaginary friend, just page after page of of one-sided dialogue. And it's it's not good. I'm not down with it. It's it's not cool. It's super obnoxious. And I don't want any more of it. No, no, same, 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 uh, same. So I hope that's not a trend that's continuing. All right, most Fraklian. Two from Eddie Willis. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is that I really am. A clown, a ghost, an understudy, or just a rotten stooge. <laughs> yep, yep. That could easily have been a, like, Fraggle quote. Oh, yeah. And this here kind of sounds like something Boober would say. Yeah. So just imagine him saying it. Mm -hmm. There's something about it all that I can't define, and it's something evil. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> this guy talked about pest and pestilence last episode, so yeah. it wouldn't be far from his character to say something like this. Yes, it is. Uh, so what do you think? I think the, the first quote, like uh, mm. because it's so easily transcribable yeah. to the Franklin universe, to be honest. Yeah, and a ghost that's pretty on point for this episode as well. Yeah. Um, but I got a lot more from uh, Fraggle Rock. That's Randy. And of course. Fraggle Rock delivers. As always. Yes. And this is Mookie summarizing the entire chapter. She's coming! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then we have the good old gaslighting of Wembley. Let's just take it again. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. You never know what you're talking about. You can't help it. It's just the way you are. <laughs> yes. And uh, another from Mookie to Wembley. Mm -hmm. You had a horrible, terrifying nightmare manifesting the darker side of your character. It has that Randian kind of dramatic pizzazz. It's just, this, this is a fucking kid show, man. <laughs> It just sometimes like hits me yeah. when I'm watching it. Like, this is a kid show. This is yeah. made for kids. Keep this in mind for this line as well. Every day in every way the universe will make you pay. <laughs> every day come smile or frown, the universe will drag you down. This It's gonna be bad news, bad news all day. It's so nihilistic. <laughs> And did you notice that Booba here echoes Rand's criticism of the free press? Ah. It's going to be bad news. Overlap, overlap. Overlap, overlap. For that, for that reason, I could go with that. Or she's coming. Mm. Just, I, I actually have uh, two uh, yeah. bonus ones okay, okay. from the storyteller Ooh. because she doesn't get enough attention and uh, not enough screen time. I hope she comes back because she's uh, quite something. 
She has a quite Randian way with the words, I think. Mm. So uh, listen to this. Uh-huh. His wine-dark muscles faltered as he fought with might and main. A bolt of strength renewed him and he burst right through his chains. You just need gaunt in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Ancular faces. <laughs> gaunt, freckled yeah, feet. Yeah, yeah. But I think she's coming is really representative. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 would, I, would, I would go with that. But I, I think it's wonderful picks you had this one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's move right on ahead to best phrase because uh-huh. here Ayn Rand also kind of delivers a succinct and precise description, this time of her own writing. Ooh. Wet, glistening emptiness. <laughs> <laughs> Print that on a fucking t shirt. Yep. Wet glistening emptiness. The Ayn Rand story. They should just have that as a blurb on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) I'll fucking buy it. Take my money. Wet glistening emptiness. Also, also a good description of the terrible tunnel. I think. Yeah. Um, And here's a weird quote: a low physical, material, degrading pleasure of the body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here's a sexy one. Yes. She saw a man's face and hands in the glow of a laboratory oven over the white liquid of a sample of metal. Ooh. A sample of white liquid. That metal, like, someone should someone should look into what the fuck is in that metal. The pounding rhythm wiped out her will. <sighs> The motors were a moral code cast in steel. It's it's amazing how disgusting they can make everything sound. (laughs) Okay, I have one final one, and I took it as one because it is actually one long sentence. Yes. Uh, And it's just everything mashed in together into one mess. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Should the soul vanish from the earth, the motors would stop, because that is the power which keeps them going, not the oil under the floor on her her feet, the oil that would then become primeval ooze again, not the steel cylinders that would become stains of rust on the walls of the caves of shivering savages, the power of a living mind, the power of thought and choice and purpose. Come the fuck! Down, Jesus Christ! It is almost like you you take a lot of words, then you put them into a bag, then you scramble them a lot, <laughs> then you pour them out, then you place them randomly together, and then you look at it, mm, not quite random enough. Then you set the paper on fire, <laughs> and then from the ashes, this pops up. <laughs> it's something you read in the stains of it, it, rust on the walls of the caves of shivering savages. It's, primeval ooze it's just words man it's just blabber <laughs> it's it's just noise total word salad absolute white noise but uh shouldn't the wet glistening emptiness win yes because i think this is a good day for brief statements yeah they could also like go for an episode title to be honest yeah yeah i think we got it <laughs> wet glistening emptiness Wet glistening emptiness. Yes, but because that goes both for the cave and for mm. like this entire chapter, I wouldn't be against it. Okay. Best fractal sentence. Yes. You could find monsters and horrible ghouls and creeping, crawling repulsiveness. I think I'll come along. Ooh. From Rhett, who turns out to be a freaky, nasty fractal. Yeah, 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 Jeez. yeah, yeah. 
down to clown. <laughs> but you know, self-independent and not into the whole rape thing. So that's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, just a second. Um, she's down to clown, ghost, understudy, and rotten stooge. <laughs> oh. And uh, from the storyteller, a thousand years ago, or maybe even 33. <laughs> Solid. Yes. And some stone cold logic from Gobo. Okay, maybe uh-huh, he did uh-huh. see a terrible turtle, but he didn't see the terrible turtle because there isn't one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really good logic. Mm-hmm. Sound, really sound. And the final one, since we have gone so dirty, uh-huh. which just seems to be the default tone for this show by now. Let's just crawl into the dirt man where mm-hmm. this belongs. The darkness closed around them and they never came again. <laughs> so. I think the storyteller is trying to tell us that depression can cause erectile dysfunction. This storyteller from this Fraggle episode has issues, man. I don't know. Maybe she has a point. (laughs) Someone needs a hug. Yeah, as long as it's not from Dagny. Oh, no, no, no. No, never accept a hug from her. And definitely never, ever, ever accept a hug from Riordan. (laughs) No, it's going to be metallic as fuck. Uh, Yes. So uh, what do you think is the best one of these uh, nuggets of Fraggle wisdom? Uh, Last one. Keeping with the dirty theme. Yes, yes. Let's just keep this grimy and dirty, man. Also because it kind of mirrors the the ending of the chapter of Atlas Rugged. Yeah, so. that's a theme. Yeah. Okay, best character. Best character. Do you have any nominees from Atlas Shrugged? Uh, I think definitely if we go to into Atlas Shrugged, like Hank Reardon's wife. Yeah, yeah, Lillian Reardon. Like, mm, She's uncontested. Mm. Yes, she's the only decent person in this turd. Yes. Should we just have the quote? Yeah. I think she has one block of dialogue and it's yeah. all good. Yeah, Give, take it away. It's real good. And uh, for some reason, I read it with a vaguely British accent in my mind, so I, I may use that. Yes, just, just go away. We, we have offended enough yeah. people. Just take it away. It's going to be bad and it's going to be great for that reason. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Darling, said Lillian Reardon to her husband. <laughs> yes, I love it. I fought for you yesterday at a tea where the women were saying that Daphne Tackett is your mistress. Oh, for heaven's sake, don't look at me like that. I know it's preposterous and I gave them hell for it. It's just that those silly bitches can't imagine any other reason why a woman would take such a stand against everybody for the sake of your metal. Of course, I know better than that. I know that the tackered woman is perfectly sexless and doesn't give a damn about you. And, darling, I know that if you ever had the courage for anything of the kind... Which you haven't. You wouldn't go for an atting machine in tailored suits. You'd go for some blonde, feminine chorus girl who... Oh, but Henry, I'm only joking. Don't look at me like that. Uh, the library is open and closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. She's kicking ass. Hell yeah. And all out of bubblegum. <laughs> she has to win this. Uncontested, she has oh, to yes. win this. And in the fraggle... Like, we have the storyteller, which I... I will just add here that... Uh, yes? She tells us that the Dagny woman is perfectly sexless. Yeah. On the other end of that, we have just a paragraph earlier. James confirming that Dagny is not human, which we have been suspecting for some time. Mm. My dear sister does not happen to be a human being, but just an internal combustion engine. 
so one must not wonder at her success. An internal combustion engine. Yeah. Yeah. This is a pretty good way to just... On adding machine, if you ask Lillian Reardon. Just describe. But, but definitely not a human. Nope. She is definitely the Dagnibot 5000. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. yep so yep, yep, yep. Lillian Reardon is a winner. She's a clear winner. And to The Rock. Yeah. Yeah, we have uh, the storyteller. Yes, I would nominate the storyteller and also Sprocket. Yes, Sprocket. Because Sprocket has clearly read The Art of the Deal since last time. <laughs> Everyone has clearly read that book at this point. <laughs> Maybe this is the next one we go through. Um, I, I think I have to put my foot down there. I, I can handle Atlas Shrugged, but I don't think I can handle the s- s- psychological terror that is Art of the Deal. I mean, let's just stick to Ulysses by James <laughs> Joyce or something. Something clear and... Some 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 easy read. Yeah, something easy and understandable. <laughs> I have a wonderful book at home here uh, that's poetry by Donald Trump, which takes <laughs> tweets. Yeah, which takes like, tweets and like utterances from Donald Trump and then composes it into wonderful poetry. And it is so fun. <laughs> Sounds delightful. It is. Like, if, if you... If, if you Give it a little editing. It's pure, like, poetry. I mean, I mean, he does have an oddly compelling way with words. So oh, he does. At least it's stylistically consistent. Yes. Um, one final nominee, the monster mouth in the cave, uh-huh. the vaginet and tartar. Mm-hmm. I think it's a badass enemy. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of a character in the story. And if Ayn Rand had written this, uh, yes. it would be the hero of the story. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which has been... Uh, it would have been the hero because it ate all of the like dirty, filthy socialist fraggles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Swallowed them up and turned them into. No longer can they dance their chaos away. <laughs> Today is the day they will worry. Yes, <laughs> turning them all into oil. Yes. Also, I imagine that fucking cave gave a lot of children nightmares back when this was aired. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I didn't watch this episode as a kid. Yes. It would have messed you up, man. It could have messed you up to the point of actually enjoying Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, you probably need to watch this episode as a kid to really get into the sexiness of Atlas Shrugged. Yes. It's kind of the key there. Hmm. So uh, should the winner just be the storyteller? Yes. And we'll cross our fingers that she'll return and maybe go on a little side quest with the trash heap. Yeah. I mean, I'd watch a show with those two just hanging out. And just those two, sh- like... Shooting the shit. Yeah. Her telling stories and the trash heap, like, mumbling <laughs> in the background. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of the agenda. Yeah, end of the line, and I am. I am also. I have reached about the end of my my line with this book, but we are oh, yeah. one centimeter into the book and not even close to being done. Oh no, the darkness closed around us, and we will never come again. Clearly, yes. I'm turning asexual after this episode. Just a yeah. It seems like the sensible thing. Yep. So uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Thank you. Thank you for sticking with us. I guess. Bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by Monegale Media, a small and independent Danish media collective. 
If you want to learn more about this podcast and our other projects, visit our website at maanegal.dk. That is monegal with two A's up front, .dk. At the moment, most of our stuff is in Danish, but we are looking to expand our selection in English in the future. So, you know, stay tuned to the madness. <laughs>